Greetings, citizens of the world. I'm Joshua Round. You know the news. In just a second, you're going to hear the rest of the story. It's Greenwich Mean Time here at the Fake Internet Radio Network. Today's episode of Joshing Around is brought to you by Anchor. If you'd like to masquerade as a world-renowned radio star, download the Anchor app and start recording today. Theodore Geisel was born in 1904 and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts. His father managed the family brewery, but was later appointed to supervise Springfield's public park system after the brewery closed because of prohibition. Geisel attended Dartmouth College after high school, graduating in 1925 to then pursue graduate studies at the University of Oxford. After schooling, Geisel took a job as an illustrator for Vanity Fair, Life Magazine, and advertising agencies whose customers included Standard Oil, among others also publishing children's books on the side, but all of that was put on hold when World War II broke out. Theodore Geisel took a position as an animator in the U.S. Army, where he wrote a U.S. training film called Job in Japan. This military film claimed that the Japanese military officials used the traditional religion of Shinto and control of the educational system to take power, control the people, and wage an aggressive war. After the defeat by the allies of the Japanese, the film was remade as a commercial documentary, still pinned by Geisel. It was a longer film that made a point that another world war could only be prevented by responsible representative government around the world because too much control by just a few people is a dangerous thing. As for the writer of that film who received an Academy Award, well, you might know Theodore Geisel better as Dr. Seuss. And that, my friends, is the rest of the story. Our story's still got a ways to go, though, as we discuss names, activism, and animals plural while we huddle like a conspiracy of lemurs with talk of joshing around. It turns out Seuss is Theodore Geisel's middle name, but he didn't start using Dr. Seuss as a pseudonym until he was caught drinking gin in his dorm room in Dartmouth during Prohibition. To stay in school, he was told he had to give up all extracurricular activities, which included being the editor-in-chief for the campus humor magazine, the Dartmouth Jack-O-Lantern. To keep writing and illustrating for the magazine, he decided to start putting in submissions as Dr. Seuss, and, well, the rest is history. Dr. Seuss was encouraged in his writings by a Dartmouth professor of rhetoric with the aptly pretentious name of W. Benfield Pressey. Upon graduating from Dartmouth, Dr. Seuss entered Oxford intending to earn a Ph.D. in English literature. However, he then met his future wife, Helen Palmer, who encouraged him to give up becoming an English teacher in favor of pursuing drawing as a career. And with that in mind, honey, thanks for encouraging all this joshing around. Of course, we could have arrived at this destination a whole lot sooner if I had only had a supportive professor of rhetoric while I was in college. Rhetoric, defined as the art of effective or persuasive speaking, especially the use of figures of speech and other compositional techniques. Think oratory eloquence, a command of language, or a way with words. These are all a form of rhetoric. As autumn approaches and college football creeps closer, I'll soon share a Dr. Seuss-style story with you about the time I got arrested for drinking at a football game. Alas, though, not today. Whether it's for his bombast, grand eloquence, or pompous purple prose, I've always looked up to Dr. Seuss, which is interesting because Seuss is actually a French word, which means under. Other than the Instant Pot, the kitchen appliance that's been the talk of the town is the Anova Precision Cooker, or sous vide cooker. Sous vide 
meaning under vacuum, because you're supposed to vacuum seal your meats and then throw them in this precision cooked water. That's right, precision cooked. So you set the temperature and the water gets exactly 129 degrees, which is how I cooked my prime New York strip steaks last night. But I also found out that my Anova Culinary Sous Vide Precision Cooker can also turn into a wine chiller. Just throw some ice in there, tell it you want the temperature to go down, and the next thing you know, I'm drinking Chardonnay at a perfect 49 degrees. I posted the Instagram story of the whole thing on my IGTV page. You can check that out on Instagram, at Joshua Around. Instagram is an example of something that's being called surveillance. This would be undervalence, right? Because sur means above. So surveillance are cameras pointing down at you. But it's come to my attention that surveillance or recording of an activity by a participant in that activity is becoming popular in the activist community. Think of it this way. Citizen undersight can be equal to congressional oversight. So keep pointing your cameras and taking those pictures. Not to sound like Bob Saget on the original AFV, but you know what I mean. Surveillance is typically shot in the first person with no broad agenda, as compared to inverse surveillance, which is a type of surveillance that's meant to gain data on surveillance to study it. Together, they provide a more complete valence, which is to say, surveillance is just a half-truth without surveillance. While not my intention to lift or pierce the veil, the word itself comes from the Latin vigil, which means to watch. The valence of valence is referred to as metavalence, and that'll become very important to us in the future as we try to answer the question of who watches the watchers, because if no one is left to police the police, we're all likely to feel the sting. Humans aren't the only ones to have pseudonyms. Instead, animals go by other names too, but only when they're in groups, like a parade of elephants, a leap of leopards, or a tower of giraffes. A group of elk is referred to as a gang, which is also how Snoop Dogg refers to multiple bottles of Tangeray. I wonder if Snoop Dogg refers to his kids as a litter. Names can be very important. In fact, that's why I didn't name my son Josh Jr., quite frankly, because I didn't want his name to be a joke like mine. My dad and I don't share a first name, but we do share a middle name. It's a family name that started out in last position, but over time and out of respect moved to be our middle names, which is great, except for the fact that it sounds like a woman's name, which would have been fine if other little boys in school didn't let me know time and time again that was the case. What's your middle name? They'd say, oh, it's this. Oh, don't you know that's a girl's name? So after enduring a whole lot of that, I finally just stopped using my middle name entirely and just give out the initial. As for my dad, he went the other direction and started to adopt it as his first name. By any other name, though, my dad's still just as sweet. He'd never refer to me as litter, nor let me stray from a path of the good son. Here's a fun fact. A group of whales is called a pod, just like a bunch of dads is referred to as a bod. So the next time you see a bunch of fathers cohabitating, think of this. You just saw a dad bod. That's a bad joke, I know. Just like when I tell my daughter, Pearl, that if she had a twin, that little girl's name would be Plural. We've said before that the plural of Josh is Josh Team. Now, because this show's not about baseball, I didn't mention that a member of Josh Team recently reached epic heights when pitcher Josh Hader, who, like Dr. Seuss's father, is also a brewer, reached Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. Unfortunately, 
Hayter came into pitch, gave up three runs on four hits, and was pulled out of the game, which sounds pretty rough. But it got worse afterwards when he was taken to task for racist, misogynistic, and homophobic remarks he's made on Twitter. Which, for Josh's team, sounds like par for the course. Before I utter any discouraging words, though, let's end the show. I've got it on good information that the bad jokes will just keep coming if we continue. Thanks for listening. Please review us on iTunes and refer the show to a flock of friends, a bot of dads, or a purse of moms. Next time you're in the kitchen, sous-veil your sous-vide and share it with me at Joshua Around so I can see what you got cooking. Rename your kids as needed because, remember, you're the boss. And now, please allow me the opportunity to show my appreciation to Paul Harvey, Dr. Seuss, and the other giants who have empowered me to stand on their shoulders in search of joshing around. I don't typically offer up any postscript or after-credit Easter eggs, but in researching the Paul Harvey show, I stumbled across the commercial from the late 80s, early 90s for a car I used to own. I'm going to play it now in its entirety. Enjoy. What would life be like if there were zero restrictions? You could act on your every desire, give wings to those pent-up emotions. You wouldn't have to edit those politically incorrect thoughts. You could go with your gut. It would be like, finally, after all these years, letting your true self come out. You would be living this incredibly cool, powerful, passionate existence. But why confine this to your imagination when we've taken every bit of that, molded it, shaped it, and made a car out of it? Then we supercharged it. What is this incredibly powerful, passionate machine, you ask? The Riviera by Buick. That's right, Buick Riviera. And the best part of it is that you don't have to own those feelings. You can now lease them.